0: I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and I have a bottle of Tabasco sauce with me, in case this podcast starts to flag midway through. And I'm Av Sinensky,
1: and I enjoyed Baby Jane a lot.
0: (laughs) Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We're here today to talk about Season 1, Episode 3, Porno Gill." Uh, Av, would you say that uh, Curb really uh, takes a jump in this episode from the previous two?
1: Yeah, it definitely kicks into high gear here. This, is, I think, is certainly the funniest episode we've gotten so far. I mean, it's only the third, so it's not like that's a huge hurdle to jump. But there's there's definitely a, a marked improvement, at least in terms of just like the humor of what we're seeing here, in my opinion. I think it's uh, it's definitely a change for the good, and I think it'll only increase from there
0: yeah and they definitely take advantage of being on HBO so in case you're listening to this podcast uh, with children or impressionable minds present, uh, you may not want to uh, today because again the the title of the curb episode is Porno Gill and uh, certain adult topics are definitely discussed so on that note should we jump right into the episode recap of let's do it all right all right, so rather than seeing the opening title over a black screen as we're used to, uh, we see it over Larry at the driving range. A man approaches the adjoining tee box wearing a hat with the bolo string tied rather absurdly around his neck. This guy like, clearly looks like a tool right away, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is not a guy you want to be
0: around. Yeah. And then uh, one of his balls drops and, and starts to roll towards Larry, and Larry doesn't get it. And the man gives Larry a dirty look as he bends down to pick it up himself when this happened, did it strike you as like Larry like did the wrong thing here? Um,
1: I mean, I would say he didn't do the right thing, meaning like the nice thing to do is to pick up the guy's ball. But I don't think it's like clearly a situation where Larry is obligated to do so. I mean, the ball seems like close to halfway between the two of them. Maybe it's a little bit closer to Larry. Well, and it, it certainly... actually
0: stops in like the ridge of the two slabs of sidewalk. So I would argue it's like literally on the border.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty close. And, you know, if Larry's a particularly good guy, which obviously he's not, he might be inclined to say, oh, I'll help you out and go get it. But certainly I don't think he's committed some sort of like major transgression by not stopping to pick up the ball here.
0: Yeah, I think if anything, the other guy owes him an apology for Larry's in the middle of, of, you know, driving and this guy distracts him by dropping one of his balls. Right. Larry could have, you know, hit it over, you know, with his club. But I thought it was very weird that Larry is somehow portrayed to be the bad guy here.
1: Yeah, this is like at most a minor faux faux pas by Larry. Not yeah. nothing that nothing that like anyone should be making a big deal about, and certainly a, a big deal will be made about this. Yes,
0: and but as and as we've been discussing so far in these early episodes of season one, Larry's you know especially in comparison with season ten, like the things that Larry does which are quote unquote wrong or like the the issues he gets into are, are not really his fault usually. And if so, like very mildly so. But he's clearly, as we'll see, the relationship between these two. He's 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 much less of the bad guy. But yeah. anyway, Larry's back home. He's telling Cheryl about the guy's hat. And then he tells him about how the ball fell between them. But And again, Larry, this is another sort of consistent theme in season one where Larry and his conversations with Cheryl makes himself sound worse than he actually is, I think. And his perspective is that basically he probably should have gotten it, but he was, he's so recoiled in horror from the hat that he uh, couldn't do so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean that's a it's a it's a strange excuse, but you know as we know Larry David is a very idiosyncratic person, and you know when, if mildly. something if, if, if something bothers him, all bets are off.
0: Yes. All right. Um. Then Cheryl changes the subject. She asks how Jeff is now. Last we knew, Cheryl was not a fan of Jeff. Uh, first of all, because you know just in general, as Jeff has explained, the spouses often don't like the manager because they think they know better. But then also, especially because of Jeff's uh, extramarital uh, dalliances. But all of a sudden here, Cheryl's asking after Jeff, his health apparently, and Larry says that Jeff may need bypass surgery. He went in for tests, and then they kept him there. And Cheryl says to Larry, you know, tell Jeff hi and to, and to send her best wishes, uh, which is very nice. Um, then then Cheryl tells Larry that John DeBellos called, um, and which uh, only – we'll get to this in a second, but it's very unclear to me why they use the name John DeBellos. Um, Larry takes out his black book to call John back, but he accidentally calls a guy named Gil. Now Gil's last name is Thalander. so uh, Gil Thalander with a T H. Why is his name right under John DeBellos's in Larry's book?
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how Larry's book is organized. Uh, maybe he just like kind of puts them in in chronological order of when he gets people's numbers. Uh, but yeah, these are, these are good questions. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, he accidentally calls Gil, and uh, and Gil invites him over on Saturday night, uh, and prompting Larry to ask Gil to fax him directions uh, to this to this party. It's very strange to me. Like, the Larry we know would easily come up with an excuse why he couldn't come, um, or at worst, would even directly tell Gil he's not interested in coming. But this lame Larry caves and accepts the invitation he doesn't want to accept, even though he actually does have a prior commitment. Like, as Cheryl immediately tells him once he gets off the phone, like, you promised we were going out to a restaurant Saturday night.
1: Yeah, this is very strange. I mean, he also could just very easily call him back and say, oh, I just spoke to my wife and we realized we have plans that night. The, 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 The fact that they end up attempting to go to this party just doesn't really make a lot of sense like he, he doesn't want to go Cheryl wants doesn't want to go he doesn't seem to really have any ongoing friendship with this guy other yeah. than like they play at the same golf club and maybe they met a while back this should be a really easy one to get out of
0: yeah very strange behavior by uh, Larry here but I guess we need it for the uh, purpose of uh, the episodes narrative uh, Larry explains to Cheryl that Gil is a guy that he's played golf with three times he used to be a porn actor 15 years ago Cheryl does not want to go to a porn party it's not a porn party. It's yes. just a party that has <laughs> porn people at it. Yes. Uh, are you familiar with the show Party Down?
1: Yes. Big fan.
0: Yeah. So in Party Down, there actually was a porn party.
1: I don't remember that.
0: Well, then, then you need to rewatch Party Down. It's yeah. uh, quite a so, memorable episode. It's like the AVN Awards or something.
1: Okay. It's ringing a bell. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the show. I don't really remember specifics that much. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so that that is a porn party. This is just, as you said, just a party with uh, a person who used to be in porn. And Larry promises Cheryl... They'll go out to their dinner. They'll stop by the regular party afterwards. They'll be in and out for 10 minutes. So um, that ends that scene. Now Larry's visiting Jeff in the hospital. Jeff explains that on Sunday, Susie was with him at the hospital, that on this coming Sunday, Susie will be with him in the hospital all day, and he needs Larry to sneak into his house and clean out his porn collection from a secret door in a cupboard in his bedroom just in case he doesn't make it, You know, just in case he never gets out of the surgery. He doesn't want Susie to ever find out uh, about this porn collection of his. Um, which seems a little bit odd. Like, first of all, it's not like the hardest place to find. If I assume that Jeff is usually or the nanny's usually the one putting the, 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 the towels back, not Jeff. So I'm surprised no one's ever found it before. And if well it's also behind like a uh, like a hidden trapdoor or something, yeah. I thought. Yeah. So But but when you open the cupboard, as we'll see later, you know, you just you give it the slightest push and it immediately pops out. Um anyway. Yeah, what well, what to me was most notable about this?
1: scene was two things number one like larry's face facial expressions like kind of keep escalating as jeff is explaining to him what he needs him to do and then he's like kind of relieved that it's just porn like yeah. it's like it seems like he like thinks that there's gonna be like a body buried there or something yeah. <laughs> um the other thing that was notable is that like larry specifically says listen like you, you you know you have your porn thing i don't know what that's all about you know i'm not that's not my thing even though we know from the HBO special that came before the series that Larry spent what was either one or two nights at a hotel in New York and ordered hundreds of dollars worth of pornography. So. Yes,
0: and he will later order Girls Gone Wild, we know. But uh, here he, he 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 is so anti-porn that Jeff calls him Repression Jones. Yes,
1: and Larry, of course, now he's very worried that he's going to get the porn on the way home, he's going to get into an accident, and this porn <laughs> will be strewn everywhere, <laughs> and it's yes. going to be a whole big disaster. Uh, he's very also very nervous about... Anything having to do with technology, so he's worried that he's not going to be able to properly turn off the alarm. Even though Jeff gives him a very easy code, this code is yes. ridiculous. Like this should not be the code. Anyone who's out there, if you have an alarm system, don't make your code nine nine eight eight like that. Some, somebody will guess that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so. Larry's just very
0: worried. He doesn't think it's going to go right, but he agrees to do it. Yeah. Now, I thought it was funny that, you know, we've talked in the early episodes about how the episodes are very dated, you know, it being 1999, 2000, 2001, in terms of, like, the lack of cell phones, for example. The concept of needing porn magazines and movies instead of the internet is very dated. And, in fact, in the episode of Curb that we just saw this week, uh, Season 10, Episode uh, 4, this comes up, actually, because Larry tells uh, old Uncle Moak, uh, you know, what are you getting magazines for? You know, there's the Internet, baby. And uh, the Internet was certainly around in 2001. But I guess Jeff was uh, was not up to date on the uh, uh, Internet porn. in that's. Yeah. That stage. These you and are I, the dark you and I ages. high school. So I think we were more familiar. With it.
1: Yeah. These are the dark ages of pornography. It was, yes. They were rough times.
0: Yes. Um, anyways, as as you said, Larry's very worried. He says this whole thing has disaster written all over it, which is a, a Larry prediction. Uh, quite accurate. Um. Anyways, uh, Larry leaves Jeff and he says, try not to die. So uh, he, yeah, doesn't, he, good he, advice. he doesn't want to be stuck with this uh, with this porn forever because living is good and dying. Not as good. Yes. Not as good. Correct. All right. So Larry and Cheryl driving to the party on Saturday night now in the car. The directions Larry received from Gil are very bad. Uh, Larry has a navigation system on his car, but of course, he doesn't know how to work it. Uh, by the way, my wife just discovered recently that we have a navigation system on our car. <laughs> so, <laughs> And does she know how to use it? No, of course not. No, but, you know, we have phones. You can you can use Google Maps or Waze on your phone. So you don't really need to. Um, but I just thought it was funny that she didn't even know that we had it. I I showed him like, you see that big button that says NAV? You know, that's what that stands for. But anyways, uh, Larry has left three messages for Gil, um, but um, they're not answering the phone at the party house, and so uh, they don't know where to go. Cheryl's getting very annoyed. They've been driving for an hour. They're somewhere in the boondocks. And all of a sudden they pull up on, there's a nice old lady who just happens to be walking by, uh, which is uh, quite a surprise. But anyways, Larry pulls over, opens the window to show her the directions, and this lady, who appears to be very nice at first, quickly becomes the craziest person we've ever seen on this show. Or any show, possibly. She's a total nightmare, this woman. She uh, she criticizes the handwriting and the directions. Then she refuses to give the paper back to Larry... And then she rips it into tons of pieces, throws it up in the air. She says, "You snapped," although she clearly (laughs) did. And she storms off, saying, "I hope you stay lost."
1: (laughs) Yeah, this—I mean, this woman is absolutely nuts. Um, You know, with the odds that this is who you would come across, it's one thing to not be helpful, but to—you know—she destroys the directions. She gets mad. She gets mad at him for not having asked directions at the gas station that he passed, even though Larry explains he wasn't yet lost at the time. So there was no reason for him to stop at the gas station because at that point, yes. he was still in line with what the direction, what directions had told him to do. So, yes. yeah, he's looking for Jake's Way, which we'll later learn that the street that they were on turns into Jake's Way. Um, and he probably, you know, Porto O'Gill probably should have mentioned that in the directions.
0: Yeah. Now, Cheryl uh, looks extremely pissed. But yet again, I'm going to be Larry's defense lawyer. Like, what has Larry done wrong? Like, the woman was a psycho. Um, I guess you could argue that Cheryl was technically right because before they stopped when they could only see the outline of the person on the side of the road, Cheryl had warned Larry, don't pull over. This person might be dangerous which i guess she was so i guess cheryl's technically correct about that but uh she's yeah. pissed the larry and it seems like I, th- I mean it
1: seems more so at least from the earlier episodes that we've seen so far it just seems more like maybe larry doesn't do anything wrong but yet he constantly seems, seems to find himself in these ridiculous situations and at a certain point it's your fault i think that's probably cheryl's opinion yeah like, but my perspective is if you marry
0: larry david at a certain point it's your fault
1: Yeah, that's that's fair, too. But, you know, she's just like exasperated that, like, no matter what, he always just seems to find himself in trouble. He's getting himself in these ridiculous scenarios and there's no explanation other for it other than, you know, whether it's karma or what goes around comes around or he creates these situations somehow. All she knows is that she is just like a bystander. and She's always finding herself having to deal with his
0: nonsense. Yeah. Um, So they continue to drive and bicker. They don't know where they're going. Uh, now they see a car coming the other way, and Larry decides to get out and flag the car now to ask the pastor for help. And wouldn't you know it, uh, the person in the car is the guy from the driving range uh, with his hat on the pastor's seat, by the way. He still has his hat with him. And uh, the guy's upset with Larry for not helping with the ball, but Larry explains that his back was hurting that day so he couldn't bend down. And uh, when the guy points out that Larry was hitting the ball so well, Larry explains that the swing of the golf club is twisting, which is very different from bending. And Larry is just going over the top. Oh, you must have thought I was such an asshole. What kind of prick doesn't pick up a ball? And Larry apologizes profusely, explaining that he would have picked it up if his back was better. Um, Anyway, so while this is going on, suddenly Larry realizes this guy is probably going to Gil's party, too. And he asks if he can follow him. (laughs) and the guy says which I enjoy he says should should you be going to the party with your back can you bend your back and uh, when Larry says yeah the guy says well then maybe you should just bend over and kiss my ass and next time you remember to pick up the fucking golf bag golf ball and he storms off quickly so (laughs)
1: Yeah, this is obviously extremely disproportionate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, should Larry, as we discussed, should Larry have picked up the golf ball? Sure, maybe. Like, that would have been a nice thing to do. But here he's, like, completely, like, screwing someone over in a really harmful Who way. he knows like, beating... he's
0: going to see at the party. So it's like... Yeah,
1: or he's hoping that he'll remain lost and he'll never see him. But, yeah, presumably, you know, at some point he's going to have to answer to somebody, to a third party, hey... This guy just needed directions, and fine, maybe you didn't like him because of something he did a couple days ago. But to just, like, totally strand a guy in the middle of
0: nowhere late at night is just, like, totally insane. Yeah. Anyway, now Larry has to make the long walk back to his car to explain to Cheryl what just happened. Cheryl asks Larry, how did the conversation go? And uh, how does Larry respond? It went pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Yeah, so the very first time we've had this.
1: Yes, and uh, I looked up. I saw... Larry David actually provided a an origin story for the famous pretty, pretty, pretty good line. He said that it was something that he would often say to his mother when his mother would come home and, like, ask him how he's doing. He specifically says, and finding me with my head in the oven. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> and she said, how are things going? And I say, things are good. Things are pretty good.
0: Pretty, 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 pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're going to keep track of that. Uh, this is the first one. Uh, very enjoyable. Suddenly, Larry's cell phone rings. Uh, He has a cell phone, uh, which is news. Uh, It's someone from the party calling back with directions. And uh, so they find their way to the party. As Larry and Cher walk into the house, they promise each other they're going to grab one drink. They're going to be in and out within 15 minutes. And who answers the door but Gil? And Gil is a uh, slightly younger and thinner Bob Odenkirk. So that's very exciting. Yeah, Yeah, very fun to see him. He, of
1: course, uh, most famous for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, but also appeared on Seinfeld
0: playing uh, the part of Elaine's boyfriend in one episode. Yes, a, uh, a aspiring doctor who explains that the dream of being a doctor is that you break up with whoever you are dating before you became a doctor, uh, which uh, <laughs> my uh, my sister, who's a doctor, I uh, I made that joke to her when she became a doctor that she should break up with her uh, husband at the time, and uh, I was right about that one. Just gonna. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes that, that works there. out. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, uh, Gill, O'Gill. Uh, Bob Odenkirk takes Cheryl's coat. Larry wants to keep his. Um, then he asks them to take their shoes off, uh, which is his wife's custom in the house. Av, is your house a shoes-off house?
1: My house is not a shoes-off house. Although I, uh, I know a friend or two who do have shoes-off houses. I know this is like a thing that bothers some people, like they don't want to take their shoes off. But like, I think it's a pretty reasonable request, even if it's not one that I enforce in my house. And like, I'm, I'm always surprised when like people make a big deal about following it. Like, it's not the biggest deal to walk around in your socks for a couple hours. Like, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. to you. Oh, I
0: agree with you. I think the issue is that the shoes-off house hold uh, uh, yeah I the, got the mother the father whoever enforced it in the house. They tend to be like like almost like Nazis in their enforcement of this. Like they be, they tend to become very extreme. Like oh my god, you took one inch, you know, past like the mat where the shoe removal must take place or whatever. Like if you're gonna have shoes off, you have to have a bench and an area where people can put their shoes on and off. And also, frankly, you know, I think it's nice to have slippers or some kind of uh, you know shoe options for those, especially at like a, you know, my, my uncle was a shoes off guy, and he always made sure that he had a bunch of slippers in different sizes for people, uh, uh in case I guess, I guess their feet get cold. But anyway, um,
1: yeah, I mean, like like most things in life, this is one where like. It's a reasonable policy as long as, like, everybody acts reasonably. So, like, you know, if the person says, like, oh, like, I, you know, my I hurt my foot and I'd rather keep my shoes on, like, okay, give a pass to that person. Like, just don't be crazy about it.
0: Yeah. Um, my kids uh, have swimming lessons on Sunday mornings at the local JCC, and they ask you to take your shoes off in the pool area, uh, which is fine. But, um, you know, I, so I, I, was, I wore swim shoes. Uh a few there's there's one there's one lifeguard there whose job in life is to go around yelling at everybody, like he just like gets incredible pleasure from being an asshole about the shoe policy. So he came and yelled at me a few weeks ago and he said, Why are you wearing your shoes? And I showed him, I said, Well these are swim shoes. They literally said the word swim on them. And he says, But did you wear them on the outside? <laughs>
1: yeah he he raises a good point
0: so I was like no um, everybody here just uh, jumps magically from their car uh, in their flip flops (laughs) into the pool area like what does that mean like when you go to the outdoor pool anyway so um, anyways Larry refuses though he explains that his shoes are completely clean um but it turns out uh, to Larry and Cheryl's chagrin that this party is is a dinner party. It's a sit-down affair with just like a couple of couples, which uh, Gil did not explain, which, uh, again, Larry did no wrong here. Like, Gil clearly in the wrong. If you're inviting someone to to dinner, you have to make that clear.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, the the bigger issue from Larry's perspective is the size of the party. So it's like – it's one thing that like – if this was even if this was a, a party and not a dinner party, but it was the same number of people, I think they would be equally screwed because the the big issue is that they can't like yeah, but who would have a party leave.
0: for that few people? But then but then like everyone at the table like the wife is everyone's pissed about how long they had to wait uh, for Cheryl and Larry to show up, and then they ended up starting without them. And and instead of explaining to them, uh, no one told us it was a dinner party, and oh by the way, we got lost because your crappy directions. And then oh by the way, one of the other people here saw us getting lost and wouldn't help us. Like all of those things could have been said in a nicer way, obviously. And instead yeah. they just apologize and they make up lies. It's very strange why they're martyring themselves here. Yeah, and they, they make all the whole story about how they ate a bag of potato chips yeah. in the car because they were hungry, yeah. so now they're not hungry for dinner anymore. So, all, yeah. yeah, all of this it, is very strange. More, they're getting into trouble anyways. But um, Gil, um, by the way, he offers them, uh, he tells them that this house is uh, the house that come built. Uh, because of his porn background, of course. <laughs> but then he <laughs> cut, clarifies that it's not really because maybe, I guess, he didn't make that yeah. much money from porn. It's, <laughs> it's, all,
1: it's left kind of unclear. Yes, it's a joke.
0: Um, so anyways, Larry, Larry and Cheryl are brought to the table where they're invited to this intimate gathering of folks eating dinner. Uh, but as they walk in, by the way, we overhear Brian, the bolo hat man, telling everyone else about how Larry wouldn't pick up his ball. So uh, the well is already poisoned for uh, for poor Larry here. Um, and then, as we said, Gil's wife, uh, Melanie, she's pissed that Larry's still wearing his shoes in violation of the rule of the house. She's pissed that Larry's an hour late to the dinner party. Uh, as we just said, you know, uh, she's pissed because they ate a bag of chips in the car while they were lost, which makes her even more pissed. For some reason, Larry and Cheryl uh, fail to uh, explain what actually happened. Uh, they just make themselves into the bad guys here. Um, so they don't really want to eat, but there's some mango chutney on the table, and Larry says, here, he'll take some of that for dessert. Uh, Gil made the mango chutney himself, and he explains uh, the recipe. There's a little bit of jalapeno in there. There's a little bit of Tabasco in there. And at the mention of Tabasco, the table erupts in laughter, and everyone wants Gil to tell the story and Melanie, Melanie jokingly says she wants a normal dinner party without the story, but she seems to be okay with it, and uh, Gil begins to tell the story. Now, Av, um, in Seinfeld once, there was a, a story about a tractor, and the tractor story, uh, Jerry wanted to know what it was. It was not what he thought it was going to be. Uh, did you know where this Tabasco story was going?
1: Uh, no, I didn't remember from when I had seen it exactly what it was, so it was a nice surprise.
0: Yeah, so Gil starts to tell his story. Tabasco, uh, it is explained, uh, can provide the same services that a that a little blue pill can provide, for example. Uh, but the way that it must be applied is uh, rectally. Uh, how does how does Gil know this? So he starts to tell a scene, and you know I don't I'm just you know if if I'm telling the narrative of the scene, it, I just have to tell the narrative of the scene. I apologize. So it was supposed to be a two girl scene. Gil explains, but the second girl didn't show up, and so uh, Gil was engaged in uh, some lovemaking with girl number one for for three hours. Which is a quite a long time, I would say, and uh, I, I guess this uh, this 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 director of this uh, this scene was clearly not a Clint from the Clint Eastwood mold. So uh, after three hours, um, Gil is starting to uh, to wear down a little bit, and he, and he feels after a couple of hours, he says as if some girl is a is a teabagging him from behind. And, and Melanie says, uh, yeah, you should fill her in on teabagging, Melanie says, pointing at Cheryl, the newbie at the table, who, who presumably is unfamiliar with the term. Yeah, she looks she looks very innocent. Yes. Uh, so Gil explains um, that teabagging refers to the, the oral stimulation of the testicles. And it was back to his story. Um, he, he he assumes without turning around that the, uh, the teabagging must be uh, from the other girl who has shown up finally uh, to the scene. But then he feels fingers on his testicles. Uh, by the way, Cheryl doesn't – she looks a little innocent, but she looks neither, I'd say, pleased nor offended. She seems just sort of a – she has a look on her face. It's I, well, I, it, hard it, to explain it, what it is. It's a porn party. What do you expect? Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyways, Gil turns around to see it's not the other girl. It's the biggest guy in the crew that they've got, which seems a little uh, homophobic, uh, especially for someone in the porn industry, I thought. But anyways, um, but unfortunately, Gil explains that this causes him to have difficulty maintaining his erection. Uh, Which is a problem because he has yet to achieve climax, uh, even though he's been going around for three hours. And he cries out, I'm going down, I'm going down. (laughs) (laughs) And so the crew guy, who has a very strong Chicago accent in the narrative, but of course uh, Bob Odenkirk has a very strong Chicago accent in real life. He says, I'll take care of it. He runs over to the craft service table, comes back with his finger totally red. He inserts it into Gil's rectum. It's Tabasco sauce. And Gil manages to maintain his erection for another two hours. Uh, All the blood just goes straight there. So this is uh, five hours of erection, which I think usually you're supposed to see a doctor, I think, after that amount of time. uh... Yeah.
1: yeah. So I I, I did a little internet research into the topic of Uh, Tabasco sauce as an erectile stimulant. Yes. Um, I found an article on Gizmodo. Now, hold on. When when
0: you say internet research, you mean uh, internal insertion, correct?
1: Yes, 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 yes. Of course. Um, okay, so here's how what they explained, and the you, this okay. is this is a uh, Maria Konakov, I don't even know how to pronounce her name. Is is that bullshit?
0: From the Maria Kanakova, kind of oh,
1: yes. Kanakova, kind of yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it, what they say is the chemicals in hot sauce that cause the painful burning sensation are capsaicinoids. I don't know how to pronounce that. A family of hydrophonic organic molecules found in chili peppers. They generate a feeling of heat when they come in contact with exposed mucous membranes which lie within the lips and the mouth. As well as the nostrils, eyelids, and the anus. <laughs> Application of hot sauce to the anus would result in intense pain and inflammation, <laughs> as it does with the mouth and the lips. Yes. So it would seem that a sustainable erection is unlikely unless you are turned on by burning sensations.
0: <laughs> now, this article is as a result of this episode, I assume. Yes. 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 Okay. This wasn't an independent. You know, it's not like all the teens were uh, sticking no. hot sauce. Like
1: there's there's a uh, there's a YouTube clip of the scene embedded into the oh, article. Okay.
0: And yeah. we'll, of we'll, we'll course, link to this article in the show notes for of all course. those who might want to dig a little bit deeper on yes. the uses of Tabasco in the bedroom. Yes. Um, so there are other uh, – speak to your doctor or medical professional. There are probably other solutions that will not result in, a, in tremendous pain. Uh, speaking of pain, Cheryl looks mildly uncomfortable at this point, but she's still managing. And, um, and then Melanie remarks that she keeps begging Gil to let her use the Tabasco in their marriage. And then Gil brags that he was renowned uh, in the industry of his former profession for the ability to stay long for hours. He, uh, to, to stay hard, <laughs> hard for hours, excuse me. He wasn't the biggest, but he could stay hard the longest. Um, meanwhile, we see all the other couples at the table whispering to each other, uh, sort of conspiratorially, but uh, not clear to me what that's about. Anyways, what are the other. Yeah, no- yeah so did you understand that we never really get the, the resolution on that?
1: Yeah, I don't think they really explain what, what I was. I wondered. I watched the episode twice, and both times I was like, I wrote down what are
0: they whispering yeah. about, and I don't think they ever really clarify what's going Maybe on. Maybe so not know Yeah, uh, but one of the other men at the table is Gill's trainer, and he looks almost like um, uh, uh Ferrigno, doesn't he? Kind of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I Whatever. suppose he looks like um, a muscle man. Yeah, this is actually Larry David's real life trainer at the oh, time. Oh, this is Larry's trainer. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. But in the show, he's playing Gill's trainer, and he Correct. remarks how much he likes Larry's watch. He asks to see it. Uh, As he takes it, Melanie instructs everyone to get up and go to the other room for dessert. Uh, Bring your glasses, but leave everything else at the table. So um, I guess that means that the mango chutney was not for dessert. That was just a uh, a, a precursor to dessert. Anyways, as they go – sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think what Cheryl picks up on a very important thing here, which is that if you're on a porno party and they start moving things over to the couch, this is an inflection point Uh-oh. in the party where you, you decide whether you're in or you're out at that yes. point, I think, because you're you don't know what's going to happen at a
0: porn party to a second location. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what's happening next. Yeah. So Cheryl tells Larry emphatically she wants to go home now. Uh, Larry says maybe we can stop home and pick up some Tabasco. <laughs> Um, Cheryl's not in a laughing mood she tells Larry to tell Gil they have to leave now Uh, she doesn't care Larry has to make something up I mean, while well, Brian is lighting a cigar, which I guess he's familiar with the house, but otherwise, you know, I don't know how you uh, light a cigar at someone's house without asking. But he uh, he drops yeah, his lighter, es- especially especially the house of someone who won't even let you wear shoes in yes, the house. Exactly. Um, although she seems to be okay with uh, other uh, kinds of uh, materials in the house. Anyways, uh, lighting the cigar, he drops his lighter. He looks at Larry. They have to make eye contact. Larry bends down to pick it up, um, whining and clutching his back as he does so. As he rises, he bumps into a lamp on a coffee table, knocking it over. Um, Melanie freaks out because there's glass in the floor. But that doesn't really affect you, doesn't Larry, the glass in the floor. Because you're wearing your fucking shoes in my house. When you walk through my door, you play by my rules. You take off your fucking shoes. You and your fucking little soccer shoes in my house. She is just going bonkers. I mean, like, this is like beyond even a Susie rant. Um, totally inappropriate. Like, all right, he he broke a lamp. He obviously feels very bad about it, but she just goes completely bonkers. (laughs) And Larry starts to explain quietly, his feet tend to get chilly. (laughs) (laughs) And Melanie screams, Gil, get the coats. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, so thinking back to before, so I think at first I assumed that the reason why he kept on his shoes and wanted to keep his coat would be so that it would be easy for them to uh, leave quickly. In and out. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think he, he, she, like, says under, under, his bre- under her breath or maybe over her breath, referring to Larry as he's a psychotic, which I believe in
0: the uh, psychiatry profession we refer to as projection. Yes. And this is the second time this has happened in this episode because the woman on the street who ripped up the directions, who was also psychotic, did the same thing. She said, you snapped. Yes. Um so yeah so all these uh, all these crazy women and again like these are just pre- precursors to uh, how Susie will go off on Larry every episode but it hasn't really happened yet um but Cheryl gets her wish cuz they get to leave the party uh, Larry tries to pay for the lamp um Larry seems to have bad luck on Curb trying to pay for things um you know he tried to pay uh the uh for the shoe salesman last week Um, for that guy's commission, and that didn't really work. Here, he's trying to pay for the lamp. It turns out that it's from Brian's shop. Uh, uh, Very bad luck for Larry. Further interactions with Brian. And now Brian, he's really learning it over him. And Brian, really, he has the most punchable face of all time. He's like, I don't know if I can get another one. It was really hard to get. So um, very awkward there. But um, Larry and Cheryl exit, and Larry asks uh, Cheryl what her level of anger is. And she gives it as an 8.7. And Larry's excited. He says, oh, wait, that's not bad. I thought it would be like a 9. And Cheryl explains uh, that it was a 9 until he break, broke that crazy woman's lap, and when the crazy lady screamed at him, he got some pity points. Uh, Larry loves the pity points, and Larry and Cheryl seem to be in an okay mood. They have a, uh, a humorous conversation about reducing her anger level to a 7 just for the car ride home, and then she'll bring it back up to an 8 when they get home. Um, but as they get in the car, Larry remembers that the trainer never gave his watch back And Larry, uh, who's a fan, as we'll learn later, of the big goodbye, he is not a fan of the double goodbye. He does not want to go back into the house.
1: Yeah, the double goodbye is very awkward in general, and especially in this situation. I mean, like, he's, like,
0: willing to basically
1: give this watch away if it means he doesn't have to go back into that house. And, like, Cheryl, of course, is like, you know, I bought you that watch for your birthday. We're not just throwing away a watch. We're standing 10 feet from the door. This is ridiculous. Like, just be a person. Go back in there. Say, can I have my watch back? And it'll be over. Yeah. Larry Um, has $500 million.
0: He doesn't care. But for Cheryl, it's, you know, it's the anniversary gift. It has an uh, an emotional resonance. So um, she says, we're not leaving without the watch. So Larry makes the awkward return back to the door um he goes of back in sake,
1: of course he takes the shoes off this time
0: yes uh he goes back in he makes the second goodbyes melanie is sweeping up the best larry's like oh boy look at that <laughs> he tells brian he'll see him at the store so i guess he is going to try and uh, buy a second lamp uh gill gives him directions home and he tells him take it right at the barn uh, larry obviously uh very familiar with barns so he's driving back home now trying to find the barn Cheryl's face makes clear that she's back up to an eight, at least if not higher. And Larry begins a soliloquy about barns and farms and stables and cows and horses. It's an amazing scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the soliloquizing over whether or not it's a barn because yeah. do cows do, do barns have cows? If, if it has a cow, does it mean it was a barn? Could it just be a yeah. farm? Does every farm have a barn? There's stables on farms, but not you know, necessarily barns. Yeah, sure by you. the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I yeah. The so answers, it, the uh,
0: the <laughs> takeaway is he thinks he made the wrong turn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's the next day. Uh, Larry's at Jeff's house to get the porn. He looks at the paper on which he had written the code. But um, the code, he's not sure if it's 8899 or 8866 because he can't tell which side is up. But anyways, he opens the door. He successfully disables the alarm. He heads upstairs to Jeff's room to get the porn collection. He successfully finds it. Uh, he, uh, he finds it where it was supposed to be. It's a stack of VHSs and some magazines. And one of the VHSs, wouldn't you know it, in the small town of Hollywood, features Gil Bang in Motel Dick. And so Larry proceeds to play this movie uh, on the TV in Jeff's bedroom. Because, of course, when you're trying to get in and out uh, as quickly as possible, the best thing to do is sit down and watch a pornographic movie without closing the door. Even.
1: Yeah, well, he's just, like, excited that he sees somebody he knows. He's not even,
0: like, watching it for the porn. Yeah, but, yeah, but still, he could have uh, taken it somewhere else or shut the door or something. But... uh Ah, uh, Gill is having sex with two women in the scene. Larry's watching, and he doesn't notice Jeff's parents walk into the room with their luggage. They're a guest. Um, and by the way, I don't understand. Did Do they show up unexpectedly? Do they know the code? Like this is to- why are they going to Jeff's room? were not they wouldn't they yeah. be sleeping in the guest room? None of this makes any sense whatsoever,
1: yeah. this is a little out of left field. I mean, the whole Jeff porn storyline feels like very shoehorned into the episode just to produce. Yeah, the final scene. Yeah. Um, and they just like don't do a good, en- good enough job of setting it up for it to feel authentic.
0: Susie will tell Jeff um, at a different point. She says, I know about the little girls and the little blowjobs. Like, Susie knows about like the the extramarital behavior that Jeff engages with with other people. So you would think that she wouldn't even care that much about porn, especially to find it after he's dead. Like it's, it seems like the whole th- story is a little bit forced. But I love how Larry, you know, when he sees Jeff's parents walk in the room. They're a but Larry happily points to the screen and says, "That's a friend of mine. I had dinner at his house yesterday." So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Susie even there's a uh, she famously has no
0: problem with Jeff masturbating in his own home. Yes. It's only on the road he shouldn't be doing. Yes, it. exactly. So, um, so that's how the episode ends. Uh, Larry is done kissing Jeff's parents' asses. Obviously, he doesn't care. Uh clearly to me, the MVP of this episode is Gil. Uh he could last for five hours. Um, you know, he wasn't the biggest, but he could last the longest.
1: Yeah, and he's just the guy that you it sounds like you spend any time with him he's just gonna regale you with some incredible stories. So yeah. he's de- he's definitely the come with guy. a million to one um, shot doc. Yeah. And uh we'll we'll leave that pun intended. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I really enjoy Gil. Um and it's too bad that we don't get more Bob Odenkirk and Kerb.
1: Yeah, it would be nice. Uh, it would be nice. He's he's really fantastic. Basically, everything that he's in, it's always a pleasure to see him, and he's great in this.
0: Yeah, it's funny how some no name uh, writer's assistant on Seinfeld uh, gets to play himself, but Bob Odenkirk uh, has to play a character. And and I think we've discussed before. It's interesting which um, r- real life people play themselves on the show and uh, actors, and which ones portray characters. Uh, even into like this season, where we see you know Timothy Olyphant, a pretty well known actor, uh, playing a friend. But um, you know, but then other actors who are maybe less known, like you know. Or comedians who are less known get to play themselves. But anyway, um, Av, uh, what's your takeaway from this episode?
1: Um, my takeaway is this is a very funny episode. Certainly in terms of just like laughs per minute, I think this is the funniest episode we've seen so far. Um, again, like the the conflict is a little strange. Again, like Larry's basically other than Cheryl, the most normal person in this episode by a mile. Everyone just treats him like they're an insane person. The old woman on the, in the street, um, Porno Gill's wife, everyone is just acting like a total maniac. Um, the end is a little contrived, but still, like I laughed when it
0: happened. I will give this three and a half pretty 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 good yeah that's uh i agree i'm gonna give the exact same rating and i'm kind of surprised because when i made my curb episode rankings a couple of years ago i had this one ranked one spot below the pants tent the debut Uh, i'm gonna put it ahead of the pants tent to me uh this is the best episode of the three we've seen so far as you said and also i'll note that a lot of the uh the cumulative curb episode rankers really like this episode vulture has this 15 all-time the ringer had this number seven all-time um, Screenrant.com had this 15 all time as well. Um, uh, and um, and then, um, well, what's this? Up? What's this? Uh, LA Weekly had this number three all time. So LA Weekly has this yeah. one as a great. Now, to be fair, some of these rankings are before the, uh, you know, the last couple of seasons, although not that there were that many great episodes in uh, seasons nine and 10. Um, but um, everyone seems to love this one, except for IMDb. IMDb has this one uh, 67 through the first eight seasons. So uh, the 13th worst episode. So I don't know yeah, if there's so a lot that, of prudes there or what. But. That uh, so that consensus
1: ranking seems a bit high to me, um, but it's it's a very funny episode. So I certainly won't begrudge anyone who ranks it highly.
0: Yeah, and I think it just it's the first episode. It really it takes a jump from the previous two. So it's almost like uh, the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld, where this is the point where you realize like this show has real potential and this show is going to be it, like it's definitely a jump up on the first two. And so again, how I ranked it below the pants tent originally, uh, I don't know. But uh, yeah. this is a great episode. And
1: there's a, it's the first episode where you realize that there's just like a lot of enjoyment in watching people yell at Larry David. yes,
0: and, I, and maybe that's why maybe they, they enjoyed it so much with Melanie and uh, the crazy old lady in the street. Maybe that's why Susie and others will start to, to, to yell at Larry much more uh, as we go on. All right Ab, so do we have any uh, listener mail this week?
1: Yes, we got several emails. <laughs> The first um, is some feedback on our last episode, Mary and Ted, or Ted and Mary. We got an email from Jason Stitt, who commented on the fact that we wondered why it is that Larry never contemplates dating Mary as Revenge for Ted dating Cheryl, to which Jason Stitt said, actually, he does do exactly that thing. So that's uh, that's on us for forgetting about yeah. that. Apparently, that does happen last season. So good job by Jason remembering that. And we will... Uh, we'll you know, we'll try to do a better job of remembering yes, things. Thank but, you, Jason. But, good but job. But we'll but we'll probably fail at that.
0: I would say uh, season 9 is probably the season I remember the least because yeah. you know, it's not like a classic season I've rewatched many times, but it also wasn't on just like a year ago, it was like quite a while ago. So probably, yeah, I probably it wasn't wasn't the greatest season, so.
1: Yeah, and in general, like Curb is not necessarily a show that you remember for like all the plot points. So yeah. stuff like that is going to slip through the cracks. But we went out of our way to we, mention it, so. Yeah. yeah. So uh, good job, we, Jason, you know, thank you. It, Thank you for filling us in on that. Okay. Then we got three emails about this episode. The first comes from Olin Allen. He wrote, Compared to previous episodes, a lot of the minor conflicts seemed fairly genuine and less contrived than last week. This podcast is getting me to focus on all the setups at the start of the program. So it was a nice bluff that the alarm code didn't come into play. We mentioned that, too, but it was slightly hinted at. Bob Odenkirk was very believable as an ex-porn actor. Mm-hmm. Like in Better, to call, Saul. Like and better to call Saul, he gets to play a person at multi-generations. The old lady's tearing of directions was more impressive than Nancy Pelosi. Oh, we're getting political here. <laughs> um, his come-with guy is Gill's wife, what turns out to be a precursor for what Susie was to become. Pretty good episode. In the middle of the pack of the three episodes so far, and probably the best of the endings as well. Oh, middle of the pack only. Okay. Well, okay, yeah. Yeah. He has it, I guess, number two out of three. We have it number one out of three. So, close enough. Yes. (laughs) Um, Okay, Amir writes in... Uh, on a point that we raised, Larry already had dinner plans for Saturday night. That's the perfect built-in excuse for him to turn out the invite. There's a 0% chance that 2020 Larry David would show up at that party. Yes. We for sure agree. Um, Amir wonders why Jeff, who's a big-shot Hollywood manager, can't get his own private hospital room.
0: <laughs> fair, yes, he's, fair sharing a, he's sharing a room with someone. <laughs>
1: um, in a, uh, a Seinfeld-related question, Amir wonders why Gil is not as good of a host as Joe Mayo, who specifically assigns George the job of standing by the phone in case anybody calls and
0: needs directions. Well, because there weren't enough people at this party. But
1: yes, that's a good point. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, But actually, also,
0: if there's so few people at the party, you should have heard the phone ring. It's not like you were so busy, especially if they were all sitting around waiting to start dinner as they claim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they, you know, maybe they
1: should have tried to call them at some point in the yeah. last hour that they're yeah. waiting for them. Yeah. Um. And Amir's last point is he talks about the no-shoe policy. He has a friend whose wife is adamant about no shoes in their home, so they provide cheap slippers uh-huh. or disposable Good. workman shoe covers. Amir says it's insane to invite people to a party, demand they remove their shoes, and offer no alternatives to walking around barefoot or in socks.
0: Yes, I agree. Especially, like, this is not like a friend coming over. Like, this is a a party, a formal you know, affair that you've invited people who you're not necessarily that close with.
1: Yeah, a so. party is different. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, people are gonna be like walking around a lot. I guess that's a little different. But yeah, I mean, you should really, you should try, you should understand that people normally wear shoes and try to accommodate that. Um, and really, you know, as long and as again, the house asks, that
0: come built, I don't know if that's the cleanest house in the world anyway. <laughs> but.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little uh disjointed. Yes. Um, okay, and our last email comes from Claire, who says, "I definitely did not recognize Bob Odenkirk at first in this episode. His guest role here did, as a did you recognize him as Gilbey?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> His guest role here as a port actor was." To the opposite side of his role from Seinfeld, where he played the doctor who Elaine stops having sex with to help him study for his license exam. Yeah,
0: comparing was, the two, he was, he was a big Nebuch in Seinfeld for sure.
1: Yeah, comparing the two, I think I prefer the role that didn't leave me with an aversion to, to Tabasco sauce. <laughs> I already, I'm not a big fan of spicy food, so I'm already out on Tabasco sauce. But yeah, yeah any uh, any remaining interest I might have had is certainly gone now. <laughs> also, we got the first appearance of the pretty good catchphrase. I had wondered if there was going to be some backstory for why Larry says it or if the number of pretties has any significance, but I guess there's no grandiose origin story. Um, We shared the origin story for real life Larry, how he started saying that. But, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get any sort of explanation for why he says it, when he says it, or whether the number of pretties has any sort of meaning.
0: Yeah. Now, my brother-in-law, I'm just remembering suddenly, uh, likes Tabasco sauce so much that he carries a bottle with him, like when he goes to restaurants and stuff.
1: Oh, that's deranged.
0: I mean, that's been a red flag right there. <laughs> no, no, a different brother, an active brother, oh, no. not a former. Oh, okay, got it. But I'm kind of wondering now. I need to ask him. Like, is there any other uses that he makes with it?
1: Uh, yeah, never you never know when you might. Yeah, if
0: you're bringing your own Tabasco with you, um, you know. Now I know, like, he's yeah. come to our house and he's glad that he brings his bottle with him. Um, but yeah, I need, I need to find out about this. Um, all right, I'm going to investigate this further and I'll follow up on the next episode. <laughs> All right, Av. So, uh, so that's Porno Gil. Um, what is our next episode?
1: The next episode is the bracelet. Larry goes shopping to buy a bracelet for Cheryl and gets sidetracked with Richard Lewis and a blind man. I I have very fond memories of this episode, so I'm
0: excited to see it. Yeah. Now uh, she bought him a watch, so I guess he has to make up. Uh, he has to get her a, a bracelet. And this is the blind man. This is blind Michael, right? I think that's right. I don't remember his name. Yeah, but he um he, he'll he'll be around for many seasons because he in season four. Uh, he's the one for the producers who plays the piano during their practices, right? Right, right, right. right. He uh, he needs to he needs to uh, date a pretty woman. He um, he uh, yeah. So uh, he's he's an example again of Alaria. Uh, you know, Larry's a better person. than we sometimes give him credit for. You know what? what yeah, kind of, what kind of person are you if you uh, if you befriend somebody who's disabled? I would say that you are uh, pretty, 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 pretty good.